Hello and welcome to today's episode of Let's Talk Robotics. I'm your host, Nikki Rousseau, CEO and founder of Exaptic, a robotics company based in Melbourne. It gives me great pleasure to introduce you to my guest today. Professor Paul Bannon is an adult cardiothoracic surgeon of international standing with clinical appointments at Royal Prince Alfred, Concord, Strathfield Private and Macquarie University Hospitals. He has other distinguished positions that he holds, but I would like to focus on one particular one today. Paul is director of the Robotics Training Institute, which is based at the Royal Prince Alfred Hospital in Sydney. Welcome, Paul, and thanks very much for joining me today. Well, thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here. So um, is it correct to say that this is the only robotic training institute in the Southern Hemisphere? It's the, the, the RTI is the only officially designated uh, training institute in the Southern Hemisphere associated with the Da Vinci system is probably more correct. There are others in the Northern Hemisphere, South Korea, etc. in the US, but in the Southern Hemisphere, that's absolutely correct. And why that's important is the, at currently at least, I presume we'll get onto this, but currently at least the Da Vinci is certainly the most widespread and widely applied of the robotic uh, systems. Okay, so what is robotic surgery? And um, flying on from that, why would patients want to use a robot as just as opposed to conventional, um, you know, surgeons just operating on mm. them? Yeah, well, it's, a, it's, it's probably the most important question to ask, to be honest, because I think a lot of patients will often think that uh, there's a, and I, I think that's probably less and less now, but certainly in, in the beginning, people would think that the robot was actually going to be doing the surgery. But, and, and that may be the case of the future, which I'm sure we'll get on to, but the currently uh, it's robotic assisted surgery. And there is a real value in that, uh, but the, it's robotic, when I say it's robotic assisted surgery, the surgeon's in control of the instruments the entire time where they'll sit far field or at a console. And that console can actually be, you know, these days with, with the internet connections as they are and improving even more. So that can actually can be completely off site, but we don't currently practice that. Um, we have trained like that to a degree, uh, but we don't practice that. So the, the surgeon sitting at a console within the operating theater with the, with the patient, uh, you know, right next to them essentially. But the, the difference is that the, the robotic assisted surgery allows minimally invasive surgery to be done with great control. So what that means is you can get the benefit of small incisions and therefore what has been shown to be less impact on the patient in terms of pain, so therefore quicker recovery, uh, shorter stay time in the hospital, and even less incidence of blood transfusion, so less bleeding and less blood transfusions. It also means, however, that it's allowed us to do operations in hard to get at places with great precision. So if you're doing a minimally invasive procedure with long instruments, the, the, the instruments as you can imagine get longer and longer and longer. And of course they get harder and harder to control, but the robot, can, the robotic system can control that with great uh, great precision and great dexterity. Uh, and it, uh, and, it, and it, it accounts for movement, if you like, or, or in tremor, God forbid, in a surgeon's hands, 
So as well as giving a really enhanced 3D vision. So the concept of it at the moment is robotic assisted surgery. And that could be doing what we do now robotically, or it can be doing things that we haven't actually been able to do at a distance less invasively robotically. But it actually also adds to some operations that were otherwise hostile, if you like, a hostile entry situation that the robotic system has been used to actually enable an operation that you may still still steer very clear of. But it is still fundamentally robotic assisted currently. Well, I imagine that um, standing over a patient for, you know, potentially seven or eight hours doing an operation, you know, like um, surgeons need to be extremely fit, um, muscular, you know, like as you mentioned, the tremors in your hand when you start fatiguing, this is where these assisted robotics really comes into its own. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> there is nothing ergonomically correct about traditional surgery. Uh, it has done awful things to all of us over the years. Um, and the, that, uh, that quite apart from what it does to the patient lying there yeah. for all that time, you know, absolutely still, but uh, the team as well. Uh, but the, absolutely, being able to sit at a console comfortably, being able to get up and walk, get out and move around, uh, having a twin console uh, to be able to, to help with that, is we, we do feel that it, it may well extend the life, the operative life of the surgeon, which, you know, which is obviously tremendous, not just personally, but extending that, uh, that experience, uh, you know, I think would be, you know, we think that there will be a benefit. Definitely. So the Da Vinci robot is probably the most well-known robot um, used in Australia today. How many are there? And um, when was it the first time used and by whom? Yeah, that, that's a good question. I did have to look this up there, but it's um, the first time it was used in Australia was in 2003 by a fellow called Professor Tony Costello in Melbourne who performed prostatic surgery, prostatectomy, and that's still currently uh, the most commonly performed procedure. Um, and I think worldwide, uh, getting from our, our friends in Da Vinci, more than 7 million procedures have been performed. And within Australia... 80,000, around 80,000 have been performed. So set over 17 years, if you like, that's 1,000 a year. But currently, there's about 15,000 a year. So you can imagine the trajectory uh, in, in, in Australia at the moment. So that's yeah, 15,000 a year across the board in, in, in Australia. That's absolutely phenomenal numbers. I mean, and uh, I mean, when when the Da Vinci arrived in Australia, you know, I did hear, you know, sort of, I don't know, it's anecdotally that you could call it that there were robots just sitting in hospitals, but I don't imagine that to be true today. Are robots sitting in hospitals not being used? Yes. What, what yes. Yeah, um, not being used. Look, I, I think I think there was great excitement about the robot. It was going to be widely applicable to everyone over time and I think it has taken time for the different specialties to work out what it would be used for and I, I don't think it's I don't think it's it may have been thought that the robotic the, the robotic uh, system was going to be able to be widely applied to everything they did and that's not the case mm. we had to define it took us some time to and some of the specialties were quicker and better at doing this but it did take us some time to work out where the benefit was. And I think that that's actually one of the key issues and, and the role with the RTI and what we're doing at RPA as well at Royal Prince Alfred Hospital is trying to work out specifically where the benefits of, you know, the robotic system 
system is in within the different specialties. Quite clearly, and I think you may want to ask this at some point, but quite clearly there's a benefit in terms of urology and that's reflected in, in the 85% of the cases are still urology. So, but going back to your question about that, I think there was a, there, there was a fear that the robots would sit there collecting dust, but that's not the case. Uh, they are being widely uh, widely used, and it's more a slower uptake in some of the specialties than others. But that's now occurring. So, how much would a, a Da Vinci robot typically cost? To what's the investment that you're putting into it? That's a really good question because there's a capital cost, obviously, and then there's the ongoing costs. And 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 unfortunately, I know more about this than I ever wanted to now. But. Um, uh, <laughs> And I, I think when we bought the the current system is the XI system, and that's the fourth generation system. But there's a newer, exciting one coming out too. Of course, it costs a little bit more, I'm sure, but we'll get onto that. But the XI system, I think when we purchased it was around uh, four million, I think, several years ago. The ongoing costs are the key, though. I mean, there's obviously the maintenance contracts, etc. But there's also the space. You have to understand you've got to have somewhere to, to move this. And you can't, they, are, they are mobile, but we took the step of our, our executive here, took the step of uh, designing and, and fitting out a purpose-built uh, the robotic theatre so that all the specialists can come in and use the robot and you have to move that. And that certainly worked better in terms of manpower. And that and we, 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 we calculated that was going to cost less in terms of manpower and, and possible breakages and damages. But the consumables are still the key. And the cost of those vary between the procedure, obviously. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, the, and they could be sometimes, but in general, they're around about, I think for cardiac, at least, it's about 2,700, 3,000 uh, in terms of consumables over and above the consumables you would normally be using. And look, literally, in, in, in terms of the, uh, the overall health expenditure, that's not really very much, although if, you're doing, if you multiply that by the number of procedures, then it gets up there. Yeah. So the real question is, what's the value of that? And we have, we have looked at that, and there is also wider evidence that a dollar spent in so-called technology, medical technology, over time, will return around up to $9 over a patient's lifetime in terms of return. And we've, and we've looked at predictive modeling uh, with some of the major accounting firms about decreased time in hospital, decrease, and we looked at quality of life scores with the patients as well, and that's ongoing, um, about return to work, return to productivity, and tried to predict what that would mean to the public purse. And in that sense, I think it quite apart from the dollar when investing in technology now to the major public purse will return almost ten times over 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 the time uh, over the lifetime uh, back to the public purse in terms of productivity. Even our isolated smaller studies have shown that that is that that should be true. So the cost setup really is not that much, to be honest particularly if you've got a program where it's widely used by the, the different specialties. And so it's used the whole time. That brings the, the overall daily cost down. Does that, does that answer that? Or yeah, it that does. Too much to no, no, that does. I mean, we'll touch on Medicare and, and rebates yeah. later on. But um, so just 
you've got a um, you know dedicated space for the. Do you have dedicated um, nurses as well that just um, that focus on this type of operation? Yeah, within within each specialty, we have a dedicated team. So part of the accreditation process in the public hospital system, at least in our setting, is you not only have to be trained in robotics to different degrees and proctored to the, the specialty of the procedure that you'll be doing, but everybody in the theatre has to be accredited. Uh, and we do that through the RTI as well. So we have a whole team approach being trained. And that's really important because it's not just the surgeon at the console, it's the surgeon at the, at the patient bedside and docking of the instruments and undocking. There has, to be, uh, there has to be procedures in place, standard operating procedures if there are problems. You have to be able to get out quickly, go back to traditional surgery and the whole team has to be trained with that. So you don't, we don't, currently don't have a single robotic team we have robotic teams within that then move into the operating theatre at their allotted time to do the robotic surgery. Currently, we think that works better because there are such such differences between the specialty oh. procedures that it's hard to get away. It's not that generic. Yeah, point. and I understand what you're saying. So am I, did I understand you right, that nurses are currently being trained in robotics or is there something that they add on they're, after they've got their... They're, tra they're trained in their, what they need to do for the robotic procedure, which okay. is, yeah, so they're, they're fully trained theatre nurses. They are then taken over the Robotic Training Institute and trained in everything they need to do for that robotic procedure. All right. So besides the Da Vinci that you focus on, have you got other robots that, uh, that you, you're doing training in? Yeah, the, 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 the other systems, is the, the, the other major system is the Strike and Mako system, and that's used in, in orthopaedics very widely. It's a real precision instrument that allows them to design and, and cut really accurately and make sure those joint replacements get in there with, with complete accuracy. And that's headed by a fellow called Professor Brett Fitch, and he's done an enormous amount of work. That, that's also a haptic robot. So the sensory feedback component to it um, as well. They're the two major groups that we've got going. But there's there's lots of other there's lots of other uh, I guess you know models. There's lots of other there's the model. The next model in the Da Vinci is exciting. I got to say, that's the single port system. So currently the XI uh, Da Vinci has um, four instrument arms uh, inserted through four separate ports into whatever body cavity we're entering. Um, and the single port system is a slightly larger incision, but allows uh, up to four arms, um, very, very uh, mobile, manipulative arms, be able to go through that single port and, if you like, just wrap around the environment and carry different instruments. And that's exciting. That's approved for use in the US, but not yet uh, seen in Australia. But there's lots of other lower cost robots coming on the market. So Google robot that we haven't seen as yet. Uh, and, there's, and there's a few other versions that are more image-directed uh, robotic systems. So there are, there's lots more coming. So is the Training Institute in Australia actually recognised if you need to know anything about robotics that they, they come to you and um, you assist them in, in their needs in the hospital? Yeah, it's the, the, so as I said, we're, we're, we're running the, the Da Vinci uh, training at the moment. Yeah. So if, you got, if, you, if you're going to go on the Da Vinci system, you have to come through the RTI okay. And get the basic robotic program. What what happens after that um, is 
uh, a, a proctoring system, once you've got your basic robotic skills, you then have to enter a, a proctor system um, into the specialty or the procedure that you would tend to do, you know, urology, cardiac, uh, thoracic, anything else. Um, and you, so you're going to need someone on site uh, to be able to proctor you through those. And so we help with that and we've gradually built up a skill set of proctors uh, across our area health service that then feeds out to other areas to, to support them in their hospitals. Um, and we started to do a little bit of that proctoring offsite, you know, online offsite, which is, uh, or at least in some specialty procedures and give them some support, which has been incredibly, well, it's extraordinary that you can do it. But, uh, I know, like the, the wonders of internet, Zoom meetings and all these things. And I think uh, COVID in a way has sort of um, hastened us a little bit forward in, in our use of technology. Oh, absolutely. 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 So, so, so as director of the institute, what are you um, primarily responsible for? And, um, you know, how many doctors have come through training at the, at the institute? Well, the, 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 as, as the director, I'm primarily responsible for the running of the training that goes on the institute, but I also co-chair the steering committee that oversees the entire robotics program uh, the Sydney Local Health District with uh, our Chief Executive Officer, Theresa Anderson, Dr. Theresa Anderson. So she and I have been overseeing the rollout of all that. The great benefit of that has created, is been putting our minds to a structure of, we've touched on all the issues, but the in terms of the, we look at the different pillars that are required to get people, it's not just the, there's the training, the RTI, there's the basic and <clears throat> So the basic and events training and the proctoring. So we've, that's one of the pillars. Uh, there's what sits alongside that is the accreditation process of all the junior through to senior medical staff, the allied staff, and the uh, research pillar that sits within the Institute of Academic Surgery, which I also co-chair. And we're responsible for overseeing all of all robotic procedures within our program. Have to be have to go through research protocol approved by the ethics committees and with the data safety monitoring board. So addressing a lot of those issues that people might concerns people might have about safety, uh, and that's reviewed regularly. And then finally, there's the operative pillar as well. The the sorry the uh, yeah the operative in terms of getting getting the actual operations done in the operating theatre, the robotic theatre, and make, help getting the teams working together. So those four pillars. So, so in my, those two positions, I've been responsible for all of those, obviously with lots of help from everybody else, of course. And, and that has really created a model for all the other major public hospitals to look at and, uh, and adopt either in full or in part. Um, it sort of felt sort of slow and tedious at first, but it gains momentum and it's now, it's a, I think it's, it's a system that allows the public to be really reassured about how we're introducing it. I think so, because, you know, um, as with all robotics, there's a bit of a fear factor. They, um, I saw a robot being able to take your blood and the question was, would you allow this, this cobot on to come in? And I'd go, yes, you know, that it's, very, it's very precise. And, you know, as you're working with your robots, like it's been tried and tested. It's not something that's just let loose on the public. I think, I think when you understand what robotic is, we've started with robotic assisted, you start to know even the next generation of imaging directed robotics, when you understand what that means, you understand the precision and that's the, if you like, the strike and make 
but more than that, I mean, there's, if you, then you get on to machine learning concepts and that's really just another step on from imaging directed. So if you've got a bank of, a, you know, a huge data set of multiple images and multiple procedures, and eventually the computer uh, modeling system can choose the best operation that they've witnessed thousands of times and recorded thousands of times based on the imaging that you've now given them, then that's where you're headed. I mean, that might be scary for some people, but it's really that structure we put in place of how you introduce things slowly, that's how you get to that. And people often ask me is, you know, where's robotics going? And so what we've got now is really just, it's like that first dollar spent for the next $9. What we've got now is even though it's the fourth generation of the Da Vinci, it's really just the first generation of robotics. There's going to be yeah. so many more, but it is a stepwise progression to getting to that point, not only ethically introducing innovative surgical techniques and procedures, but, uh, but also just that development of what we can do, and but also explaining to people, you know, that control and what uh, and the sort of the the the, um, the oversight of all of that as we develop it. Yeah, look, I agree with you. I was on the um, the artificial intelligence hub up in Queensland last night. Had a um, a presentation of doctors talking about AI and healthcare, and it's 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 quite a um, like it's a, a long journey to get these things in place. You have to get a lot of people's permission to get, get mm. access to data to cross contaminate like I was listening to this and I thought I'm amazed that we've even got as far as we had because Australia is um, slightly resistant to sharing information and you know I, mm. I don't know what it is about us but I think you know it, it's for your own good so you should be just sharing um, and letting doctors have access to information especially in your media for your own well-being. But I could say, if, if as old as me, you remember the argument about the Australia card and poor old Bob Hawke, they <laughs> couldn't do anything. You're abs I'm not sure how far we've gone from then. From there yeah. either. Because then we're terrified about microchips and, and 5G. But the, uh, look, I agree with you entirely. But what frustrates me, quite apart from robotics, is I, always, I often feel that almost every mistake has ever been, that could be made has already been made. Mm -hmm. And the thing about machine learning is that it's collecting all that information and learning from that. And I just, the, the individual is, it's very hard for the individual to, to access all of that information that's out there and keep it and, and learn from every mistake and therefore not make another one. But, but the robotic systems can actually do the data systems can do that. They may not have that flair that we might want to overlay, but that's the control that, that the safety control that people, you know, might, might want there for their reassurance that there is, uh, you know, a human, if you like, uh, I'd rather have a group of humans rather than a human, individual humans I get more concerned about. But I, but the, but, you know, if we could machine learn and, you know, store all that data as well as the, as the robotic systems could be, I think we'd be, be slightly better off. So I don't have that great fear uh, of that yeah. at all. And I, 
then the but uh, anyway uh, you, I'll, I'll stop <laughs> no no look I, we we both agree on this you know if you look at um breast cancer um detection of breast cancer rate with with ai assisted imaging and things you'd go it's like i think got a 98 percent strike rate that yeah. that they can identify it and obviously you'll have surgeons and people double checking this stuff so you're not just leaving it to mm. ai but um you know that's a pretty impressive strike rate Absolutely. And another great example, which has always excited me, is the, is, the, is the concept of being able to scan. I'll use a, a lung cancer um, scenario, uh, being able to scan a lung cancer in the periphery of the lung that needs biopsy. Now, it may, it may even need delivery of a chemotherapeutic agent, uh, whatever it is. But it's in an area of the lung, or perhaps maybe the lung's easier, but the brain is actually one of the earlier examples of that was stereotactic radio surgery that was being done in the actually late 80s. Uh, and that was defining XYZ coordinates, so space coordinates of a, of a mass lesion and how best to deliver radiotherapy at the time. But way on from that is a lung cancer mass lesion that you want to either get at or treat. And using that imaging system to develop a best pathway down um, through the airways where the patients sleep, obviously, to get out through there safely and deliver a biopsy, and then having the robotic system control a malleable arm to get there, I, th I just find that extraordinary. So you've got this yeah. high-resolution imaging um, that's being able to develop a, a path to safely get there through a 3D reconstruction of the anatomy and then having the robotic system. And obviously the engineers developing something that's able to travel there is, is quite extraordinary. And the single port system is the first version of that. And so you've got these malleable arms. And so that is not far away, which I just find unbelievable. Yeah. So in terms of the Da Vinci now being on its fourth model or iteration, if you want to call it, what happens to the first one? Do they become obsolete or are you still able yeah. to use them? Yeah, that's a good, great question. I've got one. <laughs> I've got one. And it's obsolete. It's, it's sitting there. It's obsolete. They're not supported, unfortunately. You know, so for maintenance reasons, they're not supported. That's not, it's not the business, you know. But which I think is really fantastic of Da Vinci, those ones, if, uh, if you're part of a robotic um, hub, you know, international hub that's based at Stanford, um, and if you, if, you, if you get access to that sort of inner circle of robotic developers, they'll allow you, in, if you like, into the back end of the old robots, okay. uh, which you don't normally get a, get a, get a look in. Uh, and we're going through the process of being able to do that at the moment. It takes a while to do that. But, um, and I work with the Australian Centre for Field Robotics at Sydney University, headed by in Manchester and others. These are the guys that developed a lot of the industrial robotic systems, so marine uh, robotic systems, as well as for, for um, primary industry, um, uh, mining, I should say, mining. And, they, and they're sort of adding their, their know-how to, the, uh, to the medical side now. Um, the, I've lost track of what I was going to say. <laughs> oh, no, we, we, we're just touching on, like, it's, you don't want to sit there with a version that's just now useless. I mean, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah so, four million. I mean, it, it's not a huge yeah. amount of money, but it is still a considerable investment, yeah, you know. So. So, so, those, yeah, so those ones are decommissioned, but we, we, ask, we, we could still use their back end to, if you like, to, to develop, um, you know, pull out, the, pull out the, the, the nuts and bolts and 
and use that for innovative robotic uh, research is what we're, what we're doing. Well, great. So it's it's not it's not going to use. I mean, it's already paid for itself. I assume in the operations that it's been involved in. So, you know, like you go you know, per yeah, day, like it, it's, yeah, it's cost you ten ten dollars or whatever. So, so no, absolutely. I think one other interesting thing is that there's much less expensive robotic systems coming out now too, and even toned honed down robotics. Is what I'm what I'm playing with it like in the lab at the moment is the what are called the Kuka robotic arm. Yeah. So it's just a simple robotic arm mm. but it's it nicely interfaces with uh, with imaging and in fact it interfaces with uh, with an on long table imaging system that we have in our lab and so trying to so if you can imagine to have a patient on the table who's you know, nice and still if you like so your xyz coordinates are controlled yeah. and you can uh, link that to and you can control tell the uh, robotic arm to precisely do what you'd like to do uh, with you actually, you know, in attendance. And that's a, that's a much cheaper. That's $120,000 uh, and you're set to go, uh, yeah. that one. So those sorts of really specific ones, they might they may well fill a big gap in robotics rather than having the, the big kit. And it's, it'll be interesting to learn what that's like the blood collecting robotic arm. But that, yeah. it'll be interesting to see how much of that happens, you know, rather than the big systems. Well, I, I guess like all robotics, you know, there's a lot of speculations that in five years time, we're all going to be replaced, which, you know, I just, yeah, I go, listen, I work, I work with a particular set of robots and it's just not going to happen with my robots, but, you know, good luck to the others. <laughs> no, it's not going to happen with us immediately either. No, no, no. So, so time-wise, say, say you're doing quite a complex operation on someone um, that would normally take what I'm just guessing here, seven or eight hours if you're using robot assisted technology what does it cut it down to well that's part of all the data we're collecting every operation so all the different specialists so it does vary enormously i mean uh, an open prostatectomy can take a couple a couple of hours with a and a, a slick you know well experienced robotic prostatectomy now can, can halve that um and that's really that uh more difficult to access areas so it's 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 sometimes the access is the time is taken just getting access to the area where the robot can do that very quickly so your operative time if you're well experienced can be similar uh, but it's the access getting in and out that can take longer so those ones can actually halve the operative time in cardiac it's the absolute uh at the other end of the spectrum if you like we feel that we we're always doing battle with um getting other cases done and if we do a robotic case it slows us down um and you've got to temper that with well is this better result for the patients that should be done but there i didn't i touched on a little bit before about it actually sometimes has created a situation where we wouldn't do the operation but we can because we've got the robotic system and say a hostile re-entry um where it's just too high risk to do but the robot can do it from the side so it's hard. You can't put a number to that operation because you wouldn't be doing it. Yeah. And they may take forever, but um, but you get the operation done. Whereas You're saving a life, yeah, that you couldn't yeah. otherwise so that, do. So that's that's been a, that's been a really exciting part of it. It's a, it's a smaller part of it, but in terms of the routine a, a cardiac valve operation, it hasn't. It uh, whereas you you'd say what we call doing a mitral valve procedure, which is you can do from the chest side. Uh, that might take uh, open um, two and a half hours, minimally invasive without a robotic system. It might take, you know, three and a half hours. 
and if it had to the robotic system, it was taking five hours, but now time, those times are now coming down. So we can see a gradual improvement with um, uh, not just, it's very interesting, we break down the timing, not just the operative timing, but the setup timing. And that's where the allied health training is critically important. So the setup time, the docking, the undocking, we break all those components down into our, uh, into our uh, data set and, and looking at how, because that's an operative, uh, that's a, a, you know, a surgical activity issue as well. We've got to get other work done in the public hospital. Yeah. Um, so but those, but those, the operative times often find that they steady out and, the, they, and they sort of hit a, uh, hit a wall, if you like. Um, which is fine as long as the results are fine. But you, there are, if you if you look at it in that sort of granular fashion, you can see where the, what other gains can be made, yeah. and those things start to come down setup times. And that's so it is all heading in the when you're looking operation to operation, you can see an improvement over time. Some operations are and okay. do wonder what the value of those are. But that's the reason we're looking at those. That's, that, that's the reason we're taking that sort of granular approach to it. Okay. So I'm, I'm coming to you as a patient. Um, what do you say to me? We, I've got a robotic-assisted method here, or would you just like me to just work on you myself? Like, what are, are patients given the option in, in how they're being operated on? Yeah. Yes. It's already alluded to. It's all, it's all under research protocol. So patients have to be consented uh, for what, whatever you're doing. Uh, and we also add to it that it's going to be a robotic consent. Uh, that's quite specific. So the way we've set it up is that if, 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 if a team wants to do some robotic, this is in the public hospital system, a team wants to do a robotic surgical program, there has to be some value and to that program. Um, it has to be either, in, in general, there are two, two areas. It's a procedure that's already well accepted and you're looking at other things such as learning time, um, you know, operative time, uh, looking at, you know, learning curve time, if you like, in a safe environment. So with the DSMB, as it, um, or it's a new procedure. So there's sort of two areas and so, because of that, there's clear criteria of which patients are accepted, which procedure accepted. So there has to be a consent um, procedure for that, and specifically for the procedure, for the robotic component of the procedure, and, and then consent to be included in the study. And therefore all the fire that is required along with that as well. So then after that, you've got to go specifically into what robotic means and and here is like the great benefit of having all that structure that we put all the hard yards and getting into place in the first place of having we can you can't explain those four pillars behind all the robotic program and the data safety monitoring system and you can say to them and here's the first 20 cases and these are the issues that we've resolved so you can so so it is a very thorough uh, consent system so that's how that's how it's looked at so see if it's a the appropriate procedure, uh, consent for that, for robotic, and then and then study. Okay, so um, uh, is it a correct assumption if it's in a public hospital, it's covered by Medicare? 
I wish. No, that's not a good <laughs> Not at all. It's so wrong. We are incredibly well supported where we are. It's, there's a lot, of, a lot of new, and it's not just about robotics, a lot of new technologies are driven by the operators and enthusiastic, you know, innovative, you know, enthusiastic innovators, if you like. And that's all fine, except as long as there's that structure. I've already talked about that in the introduction, and it's not just crazy introduction. But um, the and so there's always a catch up for all of those things, and robotics is in that process of catch up. Um, more recently, there was a um, a blanket stop on um, more funding for public robots in New South Wales, pending uh, further information or data on cost benefit or patient benefit, then you've got to separate those two. I mean, the public hospital system is not purely cost benefit. Yeah. You know, it's also patient benefit. And I can say that honestly, you know, having been in these discussions, they do, they do feel that too. It's not just cost. Um, so the, so even though they put that moratorium on the, the overall capital expenditure of the robots, what that, what that's, what we've been asked to do is develop the generic data set and feed that information back from all of our programs. And we've developed a national consortium of robotic surgeons as well to feed that information back to help, um, to help inform them about whether or not it should be funded or which, pro which components should be funded uh, on Medicare. Short answer, currently no. No, okay. Has, has, have you got any stats on mortality rates, um, op operations done with robots versus just your surgeon? Yeah, the mortality rates, uh, you know, I mean, again, it's different. You've got to think different procedures. Different yep. So there's, again, the structure behind it all is of great value. The mortality um, rates published and from what we've already done as well haven't changed. So the mortality, is it, is it any lower? It's not lower, it's the same. And that's really, you know, what you want. So you're looking for other areas. Um, and in terms of a touch on earlier about shorter length of stay, so it allows the minimally invasive, less blood transfusions. Less blood transfusions is incredibly important, far more so than people realise. But there are ongoing effects of bleeding and therefore transfusions later in life. There's quite good evidence for that, quite apart from the public purse, et cetera. Um, and if you can if you can decrease that, other people that have you know car wreck trauma, if you can say need it, and you know if you can so that so that we think is the robotic assisted enabling less invasive, uh, and so that's you know that component is um, is is real. Yeah. Uh, length of stay seems to be, and that's a cost thing. Seems to be dependent upon in our own experience, a specific program developed for robotics. So if you're, if you're slotted them into your normal length of stay, they tend to stay there anyway. But if you have an active clinical pathway, is how we call it, uh, for the robotic pathway, you find them getting out of hospital really quite, uh, quite early. So those sorts of benefits are there. What, um, what, we, what we may not, what we need to be sure of is cancer resections about making sure that's as good as other procedures, minimally invasive, non-robotic assisted or open traditional surgery. So there's a, a scale of, of benefit, but mortality, going back to that question, in, in across the board is the same. There hasn't been a higher risk or a lower risk. And really, I'm not quite sure what that says about traditional surgery, whether we've hit a wall or not, but um, yeah. as good as we can get, but I don't know. But 
but certainly it's it's those other areas that you you want to see the improvement on and some of them do some of them don't Paul was it a team from um your your hospital that uh, participated last year in a um a um, a congress um, for robotics um, worldwide, or was it the Wesley Hospital? I, I, no, I think it that. was yours. No, no, that was us. So it's our two superstar urology uh, guys, Ruben and Scott and Leslie. They did a fantastic job of doing that. These guys are becoming the world congress uh, robotic That's it. stars. Um, they keep running more and more. I'm hoping they get back to the operating theatre and lose more operating. <laughs> <laughs> I think they've also done a great job and uh, that was incredibly successful and it was urology based. But since then, they've also helped us uh, um, get the, as I mentioned quickly before, um, a group of a consortium of robotic surgeons across different specialties across the country. Um, and we've only just started having those meetings and uh, we actually had a great robotic symposium a couple of years ago. We've had two now. Uh, COVID sort of, you know, put the skids on us, of course. But um, And that was very successful. And that was across the board specialty. But uh, Ruben and Scott have been focusing more on the um, urology side, obviously. But that's, uh, no, they're, they're superstars in that area. It's been fantastic. Well, I'm, I'm going to ask you to connect me to one of the superstars so we can chat yeah, to them as absolutely, well. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. So, um. The future of robotics. You you sound very confident and optimistic, and you you think this is a good thing. Look, and just in general, I'm I'm always confident, and optimistic about technology. You know, I I really am. I mean, I, I I've never thought that spending on tech medical technology or technology in general is a bad thing. There will be lots of technologies that will go by the wayside, but they all put. You know, they all create the, the pieces to the puzzle. So I'm, I'm always optimistic about that. Um, the In terms of robotics, I'm absolutely optimistic about that. Um, the the You've already mentioned some of the applications that, that will take, uh, and this is not just the mechanics, they're taking the blood sample or even the robotically controlled biobank that we've got down the road, knowing that you're going to get something quicker and it's going to be all those sorts of things that'll, that, that'll add to that. So, but then there's the concept, if you add to that, what, uh, what is built into the machine learning and what we're going to get from that in terms of diagnosis, not just having a robot doing something, but you know, all those bits and pieces that we need for the robotic systems are going to give us advantages across the board. So no, I'm absolutely, yeah, I absolutely think it's a good thing. I'm very excited to see where it might head. And quite, I mean, you haven't, you haven't, I don't know if you're aware of this, but we've had a number of discussions at the university level about nanorobotics. So nanorobotics is another, is another complete ball game. It's another you know, complete area, completely different area where we're looking at surveillance robotics. Now, this is really an ethical thing, that ethical dilemma, but surveillance nanorobotics and perhaps even going into treatment nanorobotics. Um, and that is an extraordinary concept, and I, I have no doubt that that could be that could be reached. Whether or not it's acceptable for people is a is, is another issue, but I've got no doubt that it will be reached. Yeah, look, I think um, Australian um, generally our adoption rates it, it hasn't been great in Australia, and I think um, there's a lot to be done to educate our public 
um, and people just about robotics generally, because it's just a slight fear factor if you don't know it, that you go, oh, this is dangerous. But, you know, as you said, like when you work with and you know what it is, you go, no, this is very useful. Mm. No, I, absolutely. And I think people should be reassured at the moment it's robotic assisted. And uh, so that person that you have confidence in or the team that you have confidence in, they're going to be helped by something that, that uh, really just doesn't make mistakes. And um, that, uh, that, that's what we've got now. So that people really should be quite confident about robotics. What they should be asking is all the things you've asked me is what's the value of robotics? And, you know, those questions are, you know, in the current form. And those questions still need to be answered, but they're more complex. Life's not simple. You know, they're more complex than because they are, it's, it's applied across multiple different specialties and different procedures. So it's more complex than that. But the generic, the generic value of robotic systems and what it adds to imaging director robotics diagnosis, you know, treatment algorithms, um, accuracy of biopsy and delivery of treatment is, is, there's no argument about it. Yeah, I agree with you. And I mean, even though we, as you said, we're still in the infancy, um, I, I think as people get better at the technology and what you can do with it, the results are just going to get more, um, like there's going to be a bigger differentiator. Yeah, absolutely. So, absolutely. Paul, thank you so much for your time. Um, if listeners want to contact you, um, where can they reach you or um, is LinkedIn the best medium or an email address? Uh, email address, that's fine. The, uh, do you want me to give it to you now? Um, I can put it in the show notes, but it's your, is it your paulbannon at gmail.com? Yeah, that's fine. Is, is, is that a good one? PG, PG at gmail.com. Yeah. Fabulous. I'll put that in the show notes. And Paul, I can't thank you enough for your time. It's been a fascinating uh, conversation. Yeah. I could sit here for another two hours dissecting everything, but I know you're a very busy man. Well, so. I you're very welcome at any time to come down to the lab and you can see what we're playing with. But, Listen, uh, as soon as I'm allowed to safely leave Melbourne, I'll be in Sydney. <laughs> I have that little problem. <laughs> well, I was, locked, I was locked down in the northern beaches of Sydney for a couple of weeks. I, so, so not, but, not, but that was fine. That was, I'm not complaining. That was, great. that was great. I feel your pain for a few weeks. Paul, thank you so much. Enjoy the rest of your day. Yeah, you too. Thanks. Thank you. Go well. Thank you. Cheers.